welcome to the worst bestsellers where we read about the horrors of sex without paperwork so you don't have to i'm renata and i'm kate and for this episode we read gerald's game by stephen king joining us to discuss this fucking disgusting book is nicole one of the voices in kate's head hey toots (laughs) <laughs> i thought we had cured you with all the therapy we didn't go to <laughs> because our therapist died of cancer <laughs> spoilers for one of the plot points of this book <laughs> i would call it a plot point so much as a random yeah a thing that did not need to happen but did and which I felt was built up much. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've jumped very far ahead. So we'll we'll start. Actually, I would like to introduce how I heard of this book, which was uh, last year. At that point, I, we'd you know, been doing the podcast and Kate had wanted to a Stephen King book. And I did not really want to because, as you might know, I am a scaredy baby and I don't like to read horror books. <laughs> but... We had just read Outlander, and I was traveling, and in a hostel, I found a copy of this book in French, and in French, this book is called Jessie, apparently, but the copy that I found had a fucked up cover, and I thought it was called Nessie, and I was really (laughs) excited, because I thought maybe Stephen King wrote a book about the Loch Ness Monster or something, so I, like, emailed a picture of it to Kate, and was like, we should read this book. And then later I looked into it and it's not that at all. And I still wish that it was. <laughs> uh, in English, it's it's Gerald's game and it's gross. <laughs> yeah, actually, I remember when you, you said, like, let's read this. And then, like, the next day or a couple days later, you were like, oh, I looked it up and it's not what I thought it was. It kind of sounds like Stephen King's version of Fifty Shades of Grey. Yep. <laughs> And I was like, okay, like, done, let's do it. Yeah, it's very on-brand for us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yeah, the the titular Gerald game is like, you know, an S&M sex game where Gerald likes to, you know, handcuff his wife, Jessie, for sex. And in this case, they've gone out to their country house and he's handcuffed her to the bed, and she's decided she's not into it. And so she's telling him no, she's changed her mind, like, uncuff her, and she doesn't want to do this anymore. And he's pretending like she's pretending. Uh, there's, like, pages about how she knows that he knows that she's not pretending. But he is prepared to go ahead with it, and she kicks him real hard, and he dies. <laughs> And <laughs> and that's like chapter one, and possibly probably, chapter two. Yeah, that's like the best part of the book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It is all downhill from there. Yeah. Um, Nine hundred pages are her stuck to the bed, still hallucinating, or maybe not hallucinating, or maybe hallucinating, and thinking about. And this is a trigger warning for the rest of the episode. Okay. Trigger warnings oh, for yeah, yeah. every single yes. trigger. <laughs> Of all of them. Yes. Um, how her father molested her when she was a child and how she repressed it. Yes. So, so Gerald dies and Jesse is still handcuffed to the bed. Both, there's one cuff on each wrist to like one end of the headboard. 
Uh, she can't reach the keys. She, no one knows that they went to their country house. It was kind of a spur of the moment, like sexy trip or whatever. So no one knows they're there. Uh, it's not the summer. So people wouldn't even think to look for them there. Uh, so she knows that she's got to come up with some kind of way to get herself out of there. Cause like none of the other summer people are around. There's nobody around. Nobody knows she's there. She's handcuffed to the bed. She's pretty screwed. Although not literally, because Gerald is dead. <laughs> but in every other way, she is screwed. All of that, though, it does take her a long time to do something about the fact that she's chained to the bed. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel, like, I feel like the very first thing she does is, like, try to see how tight the cuffs are. And they're too tight and to get her hand out of them. And then it, she just accepts that for a long time yeah yeah like a really long time as far as the length of this book goes not actual time because she's only chained up for like, like less than 24 hours yeah i think yeah it's it's been 21 hours when she makes some realization I, anyway because she knows she can't be there more than one night for yeah God, I I, I lost all track of time because of the pacing in the book, but <laughs> yeah, the book is literally like a brick, <laughs> and it all takes place over a very short period of time where nothing you don't know what's real and what's not real, and everything's really confusing because well, so so let's back up. Oh, do we have to? So <laughs> she kicks Gerald. Gerald hits his head. He dies. We At first, by the way, she... we later learn that he had a heart attack. But that we don't learn that until hundreds of pages later, and it's really irrelevant, but he yeah. did. So she, at first she's like, well, maybe he's just sleeping, even though she knows that he's really not. She finally accepts it. She's trying to get out, and she starts hearing these voices in her head. She actually hears them before even she kills them. Right, and they one kind of, them, of encourage her to kick him away. Or one of yes. them does, and one of them doesn't. Um, And one of them, who is the voice who's in her head most of the time, good wife, is literally the name. Um, Yeah, she's she's a Puritan lady. Yes, and she is encouraging Jesse to just go along with it, let Gerald rape her, deal with it, like, and come up with something else later because, like, she's the wife and that's what she's supposed to do and that's how this works. And then the other voice, the new voice, um, she starts calling Ruth after her college roommate, whose name was Ruth, who it sounds like in her head, who... We eventually find out that Jesse abandoned her and left college and moved away when she started asking too many questions about Jesse's past. Yeah, Ruth was a man-hating feminist, and she took Jesse with her to like a some kind of feminist group meeting. And we later learned that this kind of triggered Jesse, and she didn't want to talk about, as we've already revealed, the fact that her father molested her, which does not come out in the book until like the middle of it, basically. But so she couldn't deal with it. And rather than deal with it at all, she just repressed everything and never talked to Ruth again. But Ruth hung out in her head forever, apparently. Yeah. So she's dealing with these two voices who are telling her conflicting things of how she needs to get out of this. In During that time period, a dog. <laughs> because he, one of the very first things in the book 
is that she's pissed that he's handcuffed her to the bed and he didn't close the kitchen door all the way. And she knows she's going to be too distracted by that to be into the sex. And then that's kind of what triggers her to think like, well, actually, I'm not really into the sex at all anyway. So maybe I should do something about that. So the door's open and a dog comes in and the dog is hungry. And the dog smells blood. And we know this because the narrative shifts to being straight up from the dog's point of view. And the dog's point of view is disgusting. It is very disgusting. The dog uses, the dog thinks of Jesse as the bitch master. Oh, God. And the dog uses the word bitch master so many times. (laughs) And and every time I was like, that's not even a thing. That's not a thing. No, it's not. Stop saying it, (laughs) dog. So the dog wanders in and makes a meal out of Gerald while Jesse freaks out and. And throws an ashtray at it. Yeah, manages to reach an ashtray, which she throws at it to try and discourage it. And it's briefly discouraged, but mostly it's hungry. So it eats Gerald. (laughs) It eats a little bit of Gerald. (laughs) And we know from the dog's point of view that it's very hungry, it's starving. And then it was abandoned by a family who they bought the dog for the little girl and then the the tax in Massachusetts because this obviously takes place in Maine because it's a Stephen King book um, and the family was summering there and the dog tax in Massachusetts is too expensive so instead of taking the dog with them back home they abandoned it which seems like maybe something you should think about before you randomly buy a dog from the side (laughs) of the road for your daughter just a thought well it's It's another shitty dad in this story. Yeah. So she's stuck there listening to these voices talk to her. And Ruth is very insistent that she think about something that happened in the past. She doesn't yet know what it is. Ruth is really harping on the fact that she used to go to therapy and she stopped and she can't remember why. And isn't that weird? And why did you stop going to therapy? Therapy was important. Yeah, we keep getting like flashback pieces of... There was an eclipse, and you didn't like the eclipse, and, oh, it would have killed your mother to know this, and you can, pretty early on, you can kind of put together, like, oh, like, her dad molested her, and then, like, 200 pages in, we get, like, a really detailed description of it, and it's gross, obviously, and then she remembers it at the same level of detail, like, two more times, Like, it's repeated almost identically multiple times. Why? I I don't don't, know. Yeah, nobody knows. Plus, like, the other thing, too, all of the grossness of that aside is it's halfway through the book that she has the first flashback-ish, right? Halfway-ish. Yeah. And literally all the things that we just described about the the voices and the thinking about the past. And there's, there's one other extended sequence where she's really thirsty and there's a glass of water, but she can't quite reach it. So she does all this stuff to reach it. And then she does, but she can't get it to her mouth. So then she makes a straw out of a piece of cardboard. And like all of that is all that happens between the beginning of the book and her flashing back to when her father molested her. Yeah. Like, that fills hundreds of pages. I think Nicole's the one who said this could have been a really compelling short story. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, at most, like, a novella. Like, at most, you know? 
and I, yeah. I can't believe this is like a 320 page or whatever book like i i cannot i still can't i'll have like post-traumatic stress disorder about this i can't believe this is so long i can't believe it yeah and it just really did not need to be this long did not need to exist at all to yes, be honest that's true <laughs> that's fair uh i mean i i can see the appeal of i can i can understand on the surface like, I think that you could do something really interesting with a similar sort of thing where, like, you know, the same setup where they're playing a sex game and they don't have a safe word in this. Or, like, you know, she uses it and he ignores it. So she hits him and he dies and she's trapped there in her own head. I feel like that's an interesting concept for, like, kind of like a psychological little short story or something. Yeah, what he actually does with that going forward does not need to exist. The level of detail, the all of the random shit, uh, it's so weird. It's so weird and gross. And and I say this as someone who likes Stephen King, who owns many Stephen King books, and who counts some Stephen King books among her favorite books. Ditto. I mean, you and I, we have actually pretty similar tastes when it comes to Stephen King books. And yes. this, though, I think this book shows when, like, when Stephen King is off, he's just really, really off. Like the books that are bad are just, are of his are just pretty bad. And it's usually the later books where I think think we were talking about this, where editors sort of stopped editing him or, you know, he's so famous now that they can't edit him. Mm -hmm. And I just, because The Stand is a a really long book, even the abridged version, but I love that book. I've read, I've read it multiple times. This book is awful <laughs> yeah, it's just like, so bad the only other stephen king book i've read was the green mile which is easily like twice as long as this i would say but i enjoyed that it didn't feel like superlatively gross or like unnecessary to me i was just like okay like there's this much of the story to tell okay this was disgusting and also i I don't know a lot about Stephen King, but I knew that he had been in a car accident at some point, and I had heard that that had sort of altered his writing after that, and then also that he had, like, drug and alcohol abuse problems that also affected his writing, so I was like, oh, it's gotta be that, and I I looked up sort of the timeline of his life, and apparently this was before his car accident, but after his sobriety, this is just regular Stephen King with, like, no excuses, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so so to to kind of wrap up, because we can literally wrap this up in, like, ten more sentences. Yeah, there's not not much happens. For the second half of the book, it's the same thing, except that there's this weird guy who's, is maybe a hallucination. The space cowboy. I I can't even with that. Who's maybe a hallucination, and she thinks it's her father's, like, spirit coming back for her, but her the voices in her head are telling her that it's not a hallucination, and she doesn't know what to think. She sees an earring on the ground, and she doesn't think it's her her earring, so then she's sure, which is weird, because, like, why would a guy drop a pearl earring? Well, the space and- cowboy has that that case, that wicker case full of, like, trinkets. Like, it has bones and jewelry in it. Right, so we, we learned that at the, at the end, that it was real, and he did have a case full of jewelry. Yeah, well, it's the earring that makes her think that it wasn't a hallucination. So when, when she first thinks that she sees the creature the first time, and she's trying to convince herself, oh, you're just moonlight, you're not real, and her voices are like, no, I think he's real, 
she eventually convinces herself that he wasn't real. And then I think daylight comes and that's what like it reflects off like the gold part of the earring or something. And she's like, well, I don't have that kind of earring and I see a footprint there too. So where did that come from? And that's what makes her think that it was actually real. And that's when she decides that's what finally makes her decide that she has to like get out of the cuffs at all costs. Like she can't be in the house another night. Right. And, and then we get like, I think a repeat of the flashback to her dad because she thinks of it as being linked. Yeah. Oh, I hate it. I hate it all so much. Yeah. No, it was, it was awful in every, and then to to finally get out of it. I honestly, I could barely tell you because I really had to skim it. It was too disgusting to process. I read the whole thing and you guys are better for having skimmed it. It was awful. And it was just awful. But uh, we'll it's referred to it... as a degloving injury. Oh, God. Which is a term that you can look up on Wikipedia if you hate yourself. Or not. Just know that it was bloody and gross and horrible. So and disgusting. that's all you need to know. Yeah. And then she's, like, basically bleeding to death. And it still takes her 20 pages to get out of the house. So long. She tries <laughs> to call 911. First of all, it takes her fucking forever to even get to the phone to try 911. <laughs> But um, the phone's disconnected, which is more evidence that the space cowboy was real and he fucked up her phone. And the whole time, by the way, I was like, what kind of person is this that would just watch her sleep and disconnect the phone and leave and maybe come back? And we'll get to that in a minute. But well, also, at this part, she thought it was actually death, like a, a manifestation of death or something like that. Yeah. And or her father's ghost. Yeah. Which I would have accepted more than what actually happens, which we'll get to in a minute. But wait, but why would a ghost disconnect the phone, though? I don't care about any ghosts of that. are dicks, <laughs> Better than what ends up happening. <laughs> so anyway, then she finally gets out the door, and it's like every single thing that happens takes at least a full page for each each step that she takes, each looking for the keys of the car, each starting the car, it won't start at first. It's like, fucking just get out of there. I hate it. <laughs> it's not even like building suspense. It's just building outrage in me. Oh my god, yes. Yeah. So she gets in the car and she thinks that he's in the back seat with her and or in the front seat. He's in the car with her and she's freaking out and that also just, everything goes on forever. Every single part of it. And I think... At some point, we flash back to the dog again, the dog's point of view. Oh, yeah, the dog does come back. Like, oh, my God, like, so many times. <laughs> oh, this book just would not end. Yeah, the dog comes back. Yeah, and, and the dog reflects on the changing taste of Gerald as he decomposes. Oh, my God. It's oh. so... I mean, I guess technically, like, every work of fiction is technically unnecessary, but it's so <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> That's all philosophical conversation, Ronaldo. We don't have time for that. <laughs> Setting aside the purpose of leisure reading, this book was unnecessary. <laughs> it was. And, like, I know from verbose, I am verbose. I, I always, like, I'm sure, because freaking all you probably follow me on Twitter that like, I'll be like, Oh yeah, it's going to be like 5,000 words long, 20,000 words later. Like I, I get it. I understand. But like, I don't even think this is a case of him not killing his darlings. Like this is just 
unnecessary. Yeah, this yeah, no, nothing in be. this nothing in this could be described as a darling. <laughs> this is all garbage that should have been killed without a second thought. I'm concerned. <laughs> if if the three flashbacks to her childhood rape are his darlings, like no. Yeah, that's that's the problem. Oh my god. I just yeah, it's disgusting. So <laughs> Yeah, so she then she crashes the car, and I thought that was the end. I thought that was it. But no, there's like 50 more pages to this crap. Yeah, she she gets to the hospital eventually. Well, she stops at a gas station and sort of has a normal conversation without being like, hey, call 911 immediately. <laughs> I'm bleeding to death. Yeah, <laughs> which could, I guess, be some kind of commentary on like, how women don't express their pain and like try to suffer in silence. But also, so annoying. Yeah, at that point, I, I would believe that maybe she was in shock, like she lost a lot of blood. But at that point in the story, I was just like, Jesus Christ, can we please just wrap this up? Like, uh-huh. I've been reading for 800 pages. Come on now. <laughs> oh, it definitely felt like that many. This felt as long as Outlander easily. And I was at points reading on my phone, um, which, you know, does it. It does yeah. show 800 pages on your phone, little. even though it's really only, like, 200 pages. And I was like, no, this does. This feels accurate. Yeah. This doesn't feel like phone pages. This feels like <laughs> real pages. <laughs> oh, my God. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I was skimming pretty hard, honestly. I don't know how it got to this point, and, and maybe was never explained. But she is reading court... Oh, no, I kind of do, because... Gerald's bro from the law firm has been helping her with this case, and he gets her some information about the guy, the space cowboy, who had been watching her, because she, because he is real, and he is this pervert who likes to have sex with corpses, and does grave robbing, and all this other stuff. Oh my god. And, like, anything you can think of, this guy has done. I mean, it became a joke to me, because it was literally like, yeah, he desecrates graves and grave robs, and he kills animals, and he killed people, and he breaks into houses, and he steals things, and I'm just like... And he's a cannibal. Yeah. But the one thing that he does not do is rape ladies. He only rapes men. I think only... Only dead men? men. Yeah. 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 (laughs) uh so and why i I don't know and can we have i'm sorry we have to talk about the fact that like this is what made it a joke is he had a necklace of penises six penises oh my god a necklace of preserved real human penises i mean it was was he's like a bachelorette party monster (laughs) (laughs) anyway so the and then fucking the end of it is she's writing a letter to Ruth who she hadn't talked to in years and she's revealing like I went through all this stuff and your voice helped me and I'm so sorry we didn't talk and like I hope that I hope that you'll get in touch and I hope we can be friends again. And then the end of the book is the end of that letter. And it's like this is the first thing in hundreds of pages that I'm maybe interested in would be Ruth's reply to this or whatever, but nope. No, nope, nope. never no, yeah. that's, that's, so that's it. We have to spend 10 to 15 pages on every detail of every disgusting thing that the space cowboy, who's a real dude, 
actually did instead of learning like anything about Ruth or if Jesse and Ruth ever get back in touch or like, oh. Also, Jesse has been encouraged to go back to therapy, but she finds out that her original therapist died of cancer and she doesn't like the other therapist because she seems like a woman who likes to be on top when she has sex. And those are the only two therapists in the world, apparently. So she's like, nope, no more therapy ever. And and I get that it's hard to find a therapist that you like and it's kind of a struggle, but she is, nope, no therapy yeah. ever. She doesn't try at all. I, like, that was the weird thing is because, yeah, she goes through that, she has that, I mean, that stupid rhyme thing that she does that the therapist taught her. Ugh, like, yeah. what? I don't even remember it all, but it was like really juvenile. Yeah, she counts to ten, and on each number, it's a part of the body. And, and three is her sex. Yes. Which yeah. is gross. Well, yeah, the whole th- that whole part. But so, I, but I feel like he made such a big deal out of this therapist, and then at the end, just like basically in one line, be like, "Oh, she's dead." I, it just like was like, a, and that's the whole book is like that, where he sets up all these weird things that then at the end he's just like, "No, never mind. I don't feel like doing anything else with that." Like there was this whole thing. During the eclipse where young Jesse, after the thing with her dad, had like that weird image of the woman at the well with the slip. And I, and I was like, oh, that's weird. Like she was just traumatized. So she just had like this weird thing. But then it comes up like two or three more times. And then he never explains it. And I'm just like, what the fuck was the point of that? Why is it even in there? Oh, it, but speaking oh. of the well, though, that reminds me of one of my other favorite disgusting details of this. By the way, oh, this God. episode would be a great one to play the drinking game with if you're drinking every time we say gross or disgusting. <laughs> you're going to get trashed because this book was nasty. Oh, God. Anyway, so Jesse doesn't like the lake anymore because the smell reminds her of being molested by her dad. And at first I was like, oh, I guess she was molested at the lake or whatever. But eventually she spells it out and the lake smells like cum to her. And the first time she ever smelled cum was when her dad molested her. So like the smell of the minerals in well water and lake water smells like cum. And so... It's all tied together for her, and that smell is disgusting to her. And now, now it's disgusting to me too. Just like all of this. <laughs> I mean, that's like a natural progression for you. You already don't like cephalopods and sea creatures, right? So it makes oh. sense. Also, wouldn't like the places that some of them live. Yeah, and like one of the one of the things that really irritated me about I mean of all a lot of the things about this irritated me very many of them did so many is that at the very beginning I was kind of rooting for Stephen King oh yeah I like the first chapter yeah one of the first things that happens in the first chapter is that he's like on top of her and he's pretending that he can't tell that she really doesn't like it and like she straight up is like he's gonna rape me like that's what's gonna happen my husband is gonna rape me and no one will believe it because you know he's a high-powered attorney and I'm his wife and I agreed to be tied up and they're gonna use that against me because that's what always happens like it was a very like self-aware this is what the situation is and these are my options And then Gerald dies, and it just, like, it shits the bed immediately. Immediately. (laughs) Like, oh, wait, now it's garbage. Yeah, which also immediately and literally. Yeah, I was just thinking that. She can't go to the bathroom. (laughs) Because she's handcuffed to the bed. Um, No, that's true. Like, 
I thought the thing, like the voices even in the beginning in her head, even those were a little hokey, like they're so cliche, like just the way that like one of them's literally called good wife. But I, I agree that the first chapter was like paced the best. He just comes right out and, and says, you know, he's about to, to rape her. And so, yeah, I, I was with you on that. I was like, all right, this is actually, he might be doing this right. And then, yeah, chapter two on was just a, a disaster. Yeah, nope. especially because we see Jesse and the and the voices in her head throughout. Kind of, she has obviously repressed her dad's abuse of her, and then when she finally does remember it and discuss it, she's like, "Oh, but it wasn't such a big deal. It was only one time, and he didn't he didn't actually penetrate her." So she's kind of like, "Oh, it wasn't you know, it wasn't like real abuse." even though it's obviously, like, fucked her up for years. And, I again, I acknowledge that that's totally something that survivors of abuse can feel, like, that it wasn't that bad, so it shouldn't bother me at all. But then at the end of the book, it seems like kind of the moral that she has learned is, oh, yeah, it wasn't that big a deal, and I'm fine. But without ever really going back to therapy, ever processing it, ever doing anything, she's just like, you know, I've thought about it, and it wasn't that big a deal. Yeah, like, I got to spit in the space cowboy's face, so now I'm fine. Yeah. Like, oh, God. And especially, uh, I I don't want to talk about this because it's gross, but she, she talks very clearly and understands very clearly how her dad manipulated her, and she's like, oh, it was so clever, like, he manipulated me into being too afraid to tell my mom, into thinking that it was my fault, and... She understands all of this, and yet it's still like, oh, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it's it's very, like, for such a promising start like that, I was really disappointed by how that whole plot point was handled, and it's just, like, essentially the moral of the story is if you overcome one terrible trauma, then two, all other traumas two are Two terrible erased. traumas, I think. Well, well, oh, you know, she overcoming, like, oh, I get it, overcoming the handcuffing helped her overcome her past, or the other way around? Yeah, like, because she survived that, then, like, whatever, other trauma doesn't matter. Like, right. if you can survive one thing, then, you know, who cares about what came before? When, like, that's not, that's not how this works. It's not how this works. It's not how trauma works. It's not how, oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, no, I, no, you're, you're good, I agree, I mean. Yeah. And then also another thing that was gross about this book was in the flashbacks and it's it's from Jesse's point of view but it's written by Stephen King and he just keeps talking about her budding breasts and how her body is changing and it's over and over this description of this pubescent girl's body and it's like I we get it and you can stop this now you don't need to repeat this you didn't need to say it in the first place and I just I feel like maybe it should be illegal for grown-up men to write descriptions of young girls' bodies. feel like maybe we should put in a few loopholes in the First Amendment and just <laughs> end this now. Uh, I'm in favor of that. I think, I think I've seen enough of it. I've read enough of it. Like, no. Yeah, not, in, in this book and in general. <laughs> yep. But just, yeah, that's like, that's the weird thing. He's, he spends so much time on all these weird details. Like, again, how he repeats the actual molestation three times. I, oh, God, I just, I just, yeah, I don't know why he, I don't know why he did that. I can't figure out. 
There was why. such a good idea here. Yeah, and I, I think we right, got. Like, he should have just stuck with like straight psychological horror. I mean, the whole thing with the space cowboy, first of all, I every time I have to say the space cowboy, I want to punch something. I think so his dumb. real name was Jobert, if you want to call him that. Well, I'm just talking about the idea. So when she thinks, okay. he, when she doesn't know that it's right. a, I, when that came up, I was like, like when you find out that he was probably real, like with the earring and everything, I was like, he, it really, I hope this ends up just, if this has to be in the book, it should be a figment of her imagination. Like all of this should be happening in her head. It's all about her like dealing with her own demons. And that would have just made so much more sense. It would have stuck with the psychological thing, you know? And then I, I, and then when it was like, he's a real thing, I was like, okay, fine. If, if you need to put this in here, he just kept trying to like put in these paranormal horror aspects, which, you know, I know he does in a lot of his other books, but I was just like, if you're going to do psychological horror, I feel like you really have to focus on that. And instead there was just like so much other stuff he tried to put in and then he dropped it. And then he was like, surprise, it wasn't psychological horror. He was a real creepy dude the whole time. And I was like, you should have just taken that whole thing out. It just was just awful. I just can't believe. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. It's so unnecessary. And it, even like plot wise aside, like it just ruined the pacing because by the time he's introduced, fucking half the book's over. So, so far, you know, you read half the book and the bad guy is in her brain, is her trauma, is all this stuff from her past. And then you're like, oh, okay, I know what this is about. And then two thirds of the way through, it's like, oh, wait, no, there is an actual bad guy. Or is there, you know, maybe it's in her head. Oh, no, it's an actual bad guy. Oh, yeah, we we just introduced this guy. And that's it. That's like, why? Yeah. Why? There are a million other reasons. Like, I, I, it just feels like a very sloppy, like, he wrote the book up to a certain point and he was like, well, shit, how, what am I going to have to motivate her to get out of there? I know, I'll put a rapist, well, not a rapist, I'll put a creepy guy in there and that'll be her motivation that she needs to get out by X time and that'll end it. Like, there are other, if he had thought about it for two more minutes, he could have come up with a half dozen other reasons to motivate her to get out of there within a specific time frame and go to those extremes. Right, like maybe because... she knew a bus would come by at a certain day. Maybe she knew that a storm was coming. Maybe, like, fucking something besides yeah, this. So- <laughs> oh my god. Like, this, this is like... Uh, the first draft of a nano novel that to me is the and i say that as someone who has done nano twice like but listen the first draft is always terrible because you know it's just about getting the words out right so and you have to hit fifty thousand. so you just put any shit in there to yeah get so let's just the 50, rephrase the molestation again like a little bit differently but basically the same but it still counts as more words toward my word count and, and then oh. uh, again <laughs> yeah and now it's the dog's point of view. Yeah, let's start from the dog's <laughs> point of view. And let's put in some guy who carries around a wicker case full of bones because shrug, let's just do it. I mean, I, I just... I can't, I can't stop to think about this because I just got to get it down and I can think about it later. So I'll just write whatever and then fix it later. Oh, wait, uh, I sent it in to my editor. Oh, they're publishing it. Oh. Right. Oh, my okay. hand slipped and I emailed it to my editor. Like, <laughs> I just couldn't get over it. I mean, the pacing... That's the overarching issue. I mean, the pay, I can't, I just can't believe that what could have been a really like knockout short story or even novella, I'll give him that, like I'll give him that length, even though I think even then, but I can't believe, I just can't believe that no one sat down with him and was like, hey, why don't we cut some of this stuff out and then it'll be really great. 
maybe someone did and he said fuck you i'm not doing it i don't know <laughs> but like right because like from a selfish point of view as a person who really likes stephen king and who gets a lot of side eye from people when i say that like this is why shit like this is reason why people side eye me when i say that i like stephen king because this is garbage yes and maybe if you wrote just good books <laughs> right oh yeah i mean numbers wise well, again, I've only read two Stephen King books, and <laughs> I won't go into it. But numbers-wise, from what I understand, he's written many good books. But percentage-wise, yes. I'm not really sure what average he's hitting, because he's written so many, and some of them are this. Yeah. Yes. And Ugh. he writes great novellas. This would be a great novella. His novellas are some of his best work. Yes. And have been changed into some incredibly enduring works in our culture, outside of their existence as novellas like the Shawshank Redemption or what's the body called in movie form stand by me like he's really good at that format why did this need to be a 900 page novel by the way also can we talk about how it's dedicated to his wife and her oh my god sisters? I forgot about that it's <laughs> oh to all god. of them to his wife and her sisters like can you imagine if you're his wife, it's, like, one thing, but can you imagine being the sister and being, like, ooh, really? Like, thanks? <laughs> yeah. I, I guess. To... <laughs> I'm so curious about that because, I mean, the legend goes for Carrie, which I think is the first book he had published. That isn't it. His wife is the one who, like, dug it out of the trash and was like, no, this is good. Keep working on it. So yeah, I have to imagine that his not. wife did not read this. <laughs> <laughs> ugh. All right. Well, I, I think we got the plot pretty well wrapped up. Do we want to move on to our dramatic readings? Do we have Sure, to? why not? <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is one where normally I kind of enjoy reading, like, the gross dude parts. Like, I'll be Christian Grey, I'll be Edward Cullen, and that's kind of fun. But I do not, am not looking forward to this. And we have, we're not reading any of the most gross parts, because we all, we're just like, we can't handle that. But even these moderately gross parts and like i just don't really want to this does not seem fun but it's what we're doing so <laughs> we're dedicated let's do it i guess all right our uh, our first dramatic reading is as i said earlier a part of the book that i really liked in the first chapter which you know set me up for disappointment because this part wasn't bad and then the rest of it was um, so this is around the time that Jesse realizes that Gerald is going to pretend that he thinks that she's playing with him. Um, so I'm going to be reading Jesse and her narrative, and Nicole is going to be reading Ruth, who is not yet named, but is the no bullshit voice in Jesse's head. And Renata will be reading Gerald's, the way that Jesse imagines Gerald would react to things. She took a closer look at him and saw a terrible thing. He knew. He knew she wasn't kidding about not wanting to go on with it. He knew, but he had chosen not to know he knew. Could a person do that? You bet, the no-bullshit voice said. If you're a hotshot shyster in the biggest corporate law firm north of Boston and south of Montreal, I guess you can do whatever you want to know and not know whatever you don't want to. I think you're in big trouble here, honey. The kind of trouble that ends marriages. Better grit your teeth and squint your eyes, because I think one bitch of a vaccination shot is on the way. That grin. That ugly, mean-spirited grin. 
pretending ignorance and doing it so hard that later on he would be able to pass a lie detector test on the subject. I thought it was part of the game, he would say, all hurt and wide-eyed. I really did. And if she persisted, driving at him with her anger, he would eventually fall back to the oldest defense of them all and then slip into it like a lizard into a crack in a rock. You liked it. You know you did. Why don't you admit it? Pretending into ignorance, knowing but planning to go ahead anyway. He'd handcuffed her to the bedposts, had done it with her own cooperation, and now, oh shit, let's not gild the lily. Now he meant to rape her, actually rape her, while the door banged and the dog barked and the chainsaw snarled and the loon yodeled out there on the lake. He really meant to do it. Yes, sir, boys. Yuck, yuck, yuck. You ain't really had pussy till you had pussy that's jumping around underneath you like a hen on a hot griddle. And if she did go to Maddie's when this exercise in humiliation was over, he would continue to insist that rape had been the furthest thing from his mind. Gross. So gross. I totally forgot about that part. You know, you ain't really had pussy. Oh, so gross. <laughs> Just yeah. gross. Also, oh. one, one other annoying stylistic thing about this book is that a lot of it is these voices that she's hearing, and he does them in italics to show that it's voices and not actual spoken dialogue, which is okay, but it means you get pages upon pages that are just in italics, and it's annoying to read. Plus, I have the ebook version, the EPUB version at that, so, like, even shittier than usual, <laughs> and it's very poorly done with the italics, um, which I, I've noticed happens a lot in older books that are later turned into ebooks, as opposed to new books that come out simultaneously as an ebook and a print book. So a lot of times the italics are wrong. And in a book like this, like Ugh. when a whole paragraph is in italics and you only realize later that two sentences in the middle were not supposed to be, it gets really confusing. Okay. Oof. So anyway, gross as, <laughs> as mentioned, it's gross. And we will move on to our next dramatic reading, which will be me from the point of view of the dog that has wandered in to eat Gerald. Uh, the dog, as we'll soon learn, was once known as Prince, and here's what he's got to say. The former Prince, with whom the eight-year-old Catherine Sullen had once romped joyfully, at least until she'd gotten a Cabbage Patch doll named Marnie for her birthday and temporarily, temporarily lost some of her interest, was part lab and part collie, a mixed breed, but a long way from being a mongrel. When Sutland had turned it out on Bay Lane at the end of August, it had weighed 80 pounds and its coat had been glossy and sleek with health, a not unattractive mixture of brown and black with a distinctive white collie bib on the chest and undersnout. It now weighed a bare 40 pounds, and a hand pressed down on its side would have felt each straining rib, not to mention the rapid, feverish beat of its heart. One ear had been badly gashed. Its coat was dull and bedraggled and full of burdocks. A half-heeled pink scar, souvenir of a panicky scramble under a barbed wire fence, zigzagged down one haunch, and a few porcupine quills stuck out of its muzzle like crooked whiskers. It had found the porker lying dead under a log about ten days ago, but had given up on it after the first noseful of quills. It had been hungry, but not yet desperate. Now it was both. Its last meal had been a few maggoty scraps nosed out of a discarded garbage bag in a ditch running beside Route 117, 
and that had been two days ago. The dog, which had quickly learned to bring Catherine Sutlin a red rubber ball when she rolled it across the living room floor or into the hall, was now quite literally starving on its feet. Yes, but here, right here, on the floor, within sight, were pounds and pounds of fresh meat and fat and bones filled with sweet marrow. It was like a gift from the god of strays. The one-time darling of Catherine Sutlin continued to advance on the corpse of Gerald Burlingame. Oh, it's just not necessary. No. <laughs> I don't very, know why we need that for the dog's whole history. I mean, we got it, though. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. Oh, gosh. All right. And then the last dramatic reading we're going to do, this is from... So the first thing, before she, she gives up pretty quickly on being able to get out of the handcuffs, but she realizes she needs water, and there's a glass of water on the shelf, and she spends infinity pages just <laughs> scheming how to get this glass of water to her. And the voices in her head help out with that. And we're going to read after, I mean, like 20 pages of scheming. She's finally about to get a sip of water. And uh, I will be the voice of Ruth in her head and Nicole will be Jesse. Why now, Ruth, she asked, unaware that she was actually mouthing the words in the darkening bedroom. Why now? That's what I want to know. Given that in this incarnation, you're really a part of me. Why now? Why at the exact time when I can least afford being upset and distracted? The most obvious answer to that question was also the most unappetizing, because there was an enemy inside, a sad, bad bitch who liked her just the way she was, handcuffed, aching, thirsty, scared, and miserable, just fine. Who didn't want to see that condition alleviated in the slightest? Who would stoop to any dirty trick to see that it wasn't? The total solar eclipse lasted just over a minute that day, Jesse. Except in your mind. In there, it's still going on, isn't it? She closed her eyes and focused all her thought and will on steadying the glass in her hand. Now she spoke mentally to Ruth's voice without self-consciousness, as if she really were speaking to another person instead of to a part of her brain that had suddenly decided this was the right time to do a little work on herself, as Nora Callahan would have put it. Let me alone, Ruth. If you still want to discuss these things after I've taken a stab at getting a drink, okay. But for now, will you please just shut the fuck up, she finished in a low whisper. Yes, Ruth replied at once. I know there's something or someone inside you trying to throw dirt in the works, and I know it sometimes uses my voice. It's a great ventriloquist, no doubt about that. But it's not me. I loved you then, and I love you now. That was why I kept trying to stay in touch as long as I did. Because I loved you. And, I suppose, because us high-riding bitches have to stick together. Jessie smiled a little, or tried to, around the makeshift straw. Now go for it, Jessie, and go hard. Jessie waited for a moment, but there was nothing else. Ruth was gone, at least for the time being. She opened her eyes again, then slowly bent her head forward, the rolled-up card jutting out of her mouth like FDR's cigarette holder. Please, God, I'm begging you, let this work. Her makeshift straw slid into the water. Jessie closed her eyes and sucked. For a moment, there was nothing, and clear despair rose up in her mind. Then water filled her mouth, cool and sweet, and there, surprising her into a kind of ecstasy. That's where I was going to end, right? Yeah. 
Okay. I mean, we could, we could keep going. She no, describes oh, the water for a lot more. <laughs> please, please no. Yeah. Oh. And it's the kind of thing, again, I don't normally, I don't like horror. I don't really like survival stories. Like, none of this as a genre in general is appealing to me. But then I, com- I think of that as compared to something like, and Hatchet, when he finally finds some fruit he can eat, and it's, like, very exciting, but it doesn't take a billion pages to get there. Like, this is just like, oh, we get it. Yeah, that's that's the thing, is that this scene goes on for, it's gotta be, like, 15 pages. There's a point where she gets the water glass in her hand, and then... I, like I think she, at this point she has the straw but it's still like that part it just takes her like forever to actually sip the fucking water I mean because, yeah because the voices start yelling at her so but like oh god it's so yeah, like, weird the good wife tells her not to be a piggy and drink all the water like so it's like a five page aside before she even puts the straw and starts drinking like uh yeah oh my god I really couldn't handle it at the end you know, because she's trying to escape the house and she's bleeding everywhere. And she even says to herself, like, I won't have a lot of time when I get free of the cuffs. And then it still takes her so long. Uh, anyway, I could talk about how annoying that and frustrating that was forever. So let's just move on. Yeah, let's play some <laughs> Would You Rather. Sounds good. So would you rather have the voice of Goodwife Burlingame or Ruth Neary in your head? Um, I think Ruth... You know, at least she's telling it like it is and standing up for you, whereas good wife Burlingame is basically just like, shut up and put up and, you know, deal with it because that's your lot in life. Yeah. Although, I mean, good wife does have some of the better ideas about the water and stuff like that. So if you're in a survival situation, she might come in handy, I guess. But day to day, Ruth is way more fun. Yeah, yeah, like I feel like good, the good wife is more like practical and calm and analytical, which, you know, when you're trying to drink water from a cup you can't reach to your mouth is important when you're almost going to be raped by your husband, less important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I, I will yeah give a shout out to good wife because she did come up with a straw idea and a couple other things. But day to day, I would also have to stick with Ruth. All right. Would you rather be married to Gerald Burlingame or Christian Grey? They're both into weird sex stuff. I mean, (laughs) I would rather be married to Christian Grey because he's into weird sex stuff, but he is very exact about his weird sex stuff where you need to basically sign your life away before he'll even let you in the bedroom to make sure that you agree to everything. He uses safe words. He is much more communicative than Gerald. Mm-hmm. Plus he's, he's like super rich. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ha- like hands down, it's got to be Christian Grey. I haven't even read any of the Fifty Shades, like any, of the- none of them, and I would still hands down pick Christian Grey. Oh, yeah. Is it kink shaming to call it weird sex stuff? Like, we've all been doing it. I mean, it's, I don't know, what like non-traditional sex stuff? Hey, don't put me in. I, I play this back. I don't think I said that. I no okay. from Kate me. and I both have said it. Nicole's <laughs> less judgmental. Good it's fine. I'm into whatever, man. Like you know, I mean, sex Do is weird. You... All the no, sex I mean, is that's weird. True. Any kind of sex. Sex is just a weird but... thing. It's fun. It can be very fun if both 
you know, or multiple parties are consenting. Yeah. You know, and it's weird, but that's fine. Weird's not bad. Just make sure that if you're going to do anything that involves you being handcuffed to a bed, you have a fucking safe word or some sort of you trust your partner enough to not rape you once you're there. Yeah, have a safe word. And also uh, let somebody know where you're going when you go out of town. Just Yeah. Smart. And maybe, I mean, they make they make special sex handcuffs, don't they? Yeah, oh, yeah. that are like well, safe. They- they Although, go into that though. Gerald specifically wanted the real deal. Yeah, he really got off on that. There was probably a full page of him describing the deal, the specifications of these police handcuffs. Jesus Christ! But yeah. yeah, they do. There are safer alternatives that you can use for all your unusual sex desires. Yeah, are they unusual? Maybe everybody likes it. I don't know. Let's uh, move on to our next question, which we did not finish writing. <laughs> <laughs> Totally professional. Uh, our last question is something, something. <laughs> Christian Mingle. So, um, obviously, this is a chance for us to thank our sponsor, Christian Mingle. <laughs> Who, I mean, they've really been there for us since the beginning. <laughs> and we, no matter what the question is, it's a great answer. Christian Mingle. <laughs> Do we want to? over the third question right now i kind of think it's funnier if we don't (laughs) (laughs) unless you've got a really good question (laughs) i've had a lot of cold medicine and (laughs) the brain's not really here at all so (laughs) thanks christian mingle Um, somebody on Twitter asked like why why christian mingle is our sponsor and there's not like I mean, the first time we did it was the secret episode, because the secret can also be a dating tool. And I I think the joke is kind of just that we're not very chaste, and we're not perhaps in lines with the morals guidelines that we assume ChristianMingle.com would use, although I don't actually know. I haven't actually (laughs) signed up for Christian Mingle yet. Gonna get around to it, totally. No, 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 no. You gotta call that out. You can't explain the joke. The joke is fun. Like, anyone... <laughs> Becca, cut all that out. <laughs> like, leave, leave the joke question in, but you can't explain why it's funny to say Christian Mingle is your sponsor. If that person doesn't get it, that's their problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you're sweet for, for trying. <laughs> tell, tell them to listen to the secret episode. Tell them that's where the joke started. That's what you have to do. I think I did on Twitter... Anyway, whatever. I mean, to me, it's very obvious why it's funny and why it's a, a recurring joke. I don't... Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, then we'll move on to our reader's advisory and suggest some books that you could read instead of or in addition to Gerald's game. You're just, you're so kind. <laughs> I was just going to say probably just instead of. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'll let you guys, I know you guys actually like Stephen King, so maybe you can steer listeners toward better choices. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I, I'm going to start with The Stand, even though it doesn't have a lot of overlap. I guess there is some, there are some characters that get stuck in places when the plague hits and they have to escape. So there's a little bit of that, but I, I think The Stand, either the abridged version or the unabridged version, I don't know if you can get the abridged version now anymore, actually, but both of them, I think, show Stephen King in some of his best form. 
the book is very long, so that that's daunting for a lot of people. But honestly, I feel like it goes a lot. It's much better paced. It goes a lot faster than Gerald's game did. Gerald's game is only 320 pages, and the stand has got to be like almost a thousand. Well, I have a sh- I have a small paperback copy, but anyway. So I would definitely recommend the stand just for better creepiness. There's some supernatural creepiness and some psychological creepiness, and it's all just really well done. Yeah, I um, I knew she was going to say that because we were obsessed with that book when we oh were, gosh. like, 13. <laughs> and, and the miniseries that they would play, like, once a year on sci-fi, and we yep. always watched all, like, 18 hours of it. Yep, I have it on DVD now. But, um, so <laughs> yeah, we, we were, like, obsessed with that book when we were teenagers. But it, it still holds up. I've read it since then. And it's if, if you don't know, um, the idea is that a super flu virus that has been created by the military essentially escapes the facility where it's been created and someone escapes the facility who's infected by it and then kind of you can trace it across the country and like the whole what is it 90 98% or something of the population dies and the people who are left are kind of summoned to either the good side or the bad side for this final showdown between good and evil and it's much better than it sounds describing it. There's a huge ensemble cast of characters who are all really interestingly written, very layered. Even the bad guys have some good in them and vice versa. A lot of the characters, because the big thing in it is that a lot of the characters are called to by both sides and they have to make a choice. I've now talked way longer about this book than probably anyone cares, but it's really good and you should read it. <laughs> One of my other favorite Stephen King books is Different Seasons. Um, which is actually a collection of novellas. Uh, I alluded to some of them earlier. It's the book that includes the Shawshank Redemption, The Body, which is the story that the movie Stand By Me is based on, Apt Pupil, and another one. But they're all really good, um, and it kind of shows his range. I feel like Stephen King is mostly known for writing horror stories, and this is all sorts of different stories that are not necessarily horror I mean, we should also, I actually haven't read Misery, but I feel like that would be a good substitute for this because, you know, it involves somebody being trapped somewhere against their will and all of that. So I feel like maybe it has a little bit in common with this, but is way better. Yeah, I, I obviously have not read Misery either, but it it's better regarded. And I think the movie is fairly well regarded also. Yeah. The Green Mile's good too. I know Renata mentioned that one. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned the pacing, because I don't know if you are aware of this, but that was originally a serialized novel. I did know that. Yeah, so he it was released in little chunks that, that all really worked together well as like single episodes of the book, um, and then uh, you know, eventually re released as one volume. But that one's really good too. Alright, I'll I'll move on to a few non Stephen King suggestions. Um, I'm going to suggest the movie 127 Hours, which uh, is based on a memoir that it was called Between a Rock and a Hard Place, and I think maybe was republished to be called 127 Hours, like the movie. Uh, I was hesitant to watch the movie because it sounded really gross to me, uh, but I, I have to admit that I really like James Franco, so I watched it. And I really enjoyed it. It does have, of course, if you're not familiar with it, it's where James Franco plays the hiker who gets chopped under rock and he has to cut his own arm off with, like, a Swiss Army knife. And so that part is pretty gross. But that, to me, is similar to what Stephen King was going for here. The movie really shows him 
kind of talking with himself. There's sort of an ongoing talk show in his head where he imagines himself as, like, the host and the guest explaining how he got himself into this dumb situation and what's going to happen if he doesn't get out of here and what's going to happen if he does. And I think it really captures that psychological horror and also, you know, the disgustingness of having to cut your own arm off, but not in a way that is so appalling as this was. <laughs> I'm and, glad that we're ranking now. <laughs> right. Like, y- you know, it's it's not great, the situation, but to, it was just an enjoyable film. I haven't read the memoir, but I've heard it's decent. Uh, definitely would recommend the movie. And also, per tradition, I will suggest another podcast. Uh, specifically the episode of How Did This Get Made about the movie Maximum Overdrive, which was written and directed by Stephen King. And it's about evil cars, but it's not Christine. It's another thing about evil cars and trucks. <laughs> I actually love that movie, even like because it's so like ridiculous and cheesy. Yeah, I mean, they had a good time talking about it. Andy Daly is the guest, who is hilarious. Um, I have actually recommended how this get made before and gotten some pushback from people who don't like it because it's, like, not feminist enough or whatever. And, I mean, they're, like, mainstream comedians, but I really think it's funny. I think this episode's really good. But if you are looking for more, I don't know, gentle humor or, like, whatever... To be honest, I'm not sure why someone would like this podcast and not like how did this get made, but I guess there's something... But if, you know, if you haven't tried it yet or if you liked it before, I really thought the Maximum Overdrive episode was funny and it's another, like, bananas Stephen King happening. <laughs> well, I will, if people, I, I don't listen to how did, how did This Get Made, so I don't have an opinion on it. But, um, so t- just to counter that for people who might not like it for those reasons, um, I would recommend reading The Yellow Wallpaper by <laughs> Charlotte Perkins Gilman. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> which is another story about a woman in a room in slightly different circumstances, but it, you know, still involves a lot of um, deep digs into sexuality and feminism and expected female roles. And you, you probably in, had to read it in insanity. high school English class, but just in case you didn't. Yeah, but you should read it again because you probably hated it when you read it in high school English class because it was an assigned reading. But you should read it again now as an adult and really appreciate how brilliant and layered it is. I'm going to butt in really quick and say, speaking of women trapped in rooms, one of my recommendations is Room by Emma Donahue, which is also just the movie just came out and is nominated for all kinds of awards. But um, I feel like the book has a good blend of some things that are a little gross and upsetting and also is about a woman who's trapped in a room against her will and many other things too, but obviously that's a theme that we're going with here. So that's um, a way better book for this kind of scenario. Uh, Also, if you're interested in being trapped in a room, uh, would not necessarily recommend reading the book Flowers in the Attic, but you could listen to our podcast episode about it. You could. (laughs) And if you're interested in books about people trapped places that were nominated for a bunch of awards... Uh, I would recommend The Martian by Andy Weir, uh, which is about a man trapped on Mars by himself trying to get home, which was just successfully turned into a movie starring Matt Damon. Also nominated for some awards. Yes. For comedy, which is weird, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny. (laughs) Um, All 
right, so we will have all of these and some more recommendations on our website, worstbestsellers.com, under the reader's advisory for this episode. And now we'll move on to our candy pairing, where we'll suggest a candy to accompany this book. My candy pairing uh, for this book would be stale, old, bittersweet baking chocolate that's been in the cabinet forever. Uh, and it's outdated and gross, but you really want chocolate, and it's all that you have in the house right now, and you're desperate, and the voices in your head argue over whether or not you should eat it for hours and hours and pages and pages, and you finally do, and you immediately regret it. Okay, well, speaking of stale things, I went with stale gumballs because you're all excited about the gumballs and you put your money in the machine and you watch the gumball go down the spiral and you're so excited. And then when you eat it, it's awful and it's hard as a rock even once the candy coating is gone and it tastes like chalk and bad decisions and you'll never trust a gumball machine again. Uh, I went in a slightly different route for my candy pairing. And my candy pairing for Gerald's game would be when you're at a Halloween party and you think there's the game where you put your hand in a bowl of peeled grapes and you pretend like it's eyeballs, but it's actually just legit a bowl of eyeballs and the party is ruined. And in fact, all parties are ruined forever (laughs) just from the memory of that party. That's what this book is. I know it's not a game, but (laughs) Renata wins that round. (laughs) It's just how I feel. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so now we'll move on to our next game, which is, of course, The Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, and Nicole will choose a winner or choose paper, which is to leave the book as is for some reason. (laughs) All right. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book... Uh, He would be fishing for cod in the lake when he finds Prince the dog and he's all mangy and and angry, but, you know, the rock sees the good in him and he rescues him because he's just a good dude like that. So he packs up all his fishing stuff, decides to take it, the dog, into town so he can feed him and groom him and get him some nice dog toys and, you know, pamper him. And on the way, uh, Prince gets distracted by a house uh, and the rock chases after him. And when he gets there, he hears Jesse screaming. So he rushes in to save her long before she has to do anything regrettable that I had to skim because Jesus Christ. And when she tells him why she kicked Gerald away, he obviously believes her and, you know, gets her out, sets her up with a good, better life away from that mess and away from any space cowboy, cannibal, grave digging necrophiliacs. Sounds good. Uh, If Wolverine were in this book... It would be kind of similar, because honestly, there's not a lot that happens in this book. But if Wolverine were in this book, he would be out sadly gazing at the lake and wondering why it smells like cum (laughs) when he would hear Prince the dog barking off in the distance. And with his superhuman senses, he would also hear Jesse yelling and throwing ashtrays at the dog. And so he goes to investigate. He frees her from the bed he is he's seen weirder shit during his time in the X-Men, so he doesn't really ask a lot of questions, and Jesse doesn't really want to talk about it. So he kind of just drops her off at the hospital and moves on, and he takes the dog back to the Xavier Institute, where the kids feed it normal dog food, and Prince never has to eat people or think the word bitchmaster ever again. All right, I probably should have read yours before I wrote mine. <laughs> <laughs> <Professional>. <laughs> It really just comes down to, do you like Wolverine or The Rock more? Which is actually what it comes down to pretty much every time. 
Yeah, no, it's that's tough. Also, I don't think they could have been that much different because, like Renata said, not that much happens in this book. So, <laughs> but I have to say that one, I like how you both address the dog first, like before Jesse <laughs> comes into play. <laughs> I have because... a lot of concern about sexual animals. <laughs> I think I would actually prefer to read a book just about Prince instead of um, if I had to pick, because this book was awful. But uh, I think I'm going to have to go with Wolverine on this one, because I also like how Renata addressed the use of the word bitch master and the fact that I <laughs> never have to hear it again. So. Yes. Yeah, that dog's going to be hanging out with telepaths. He'll learn way better words to use in his dog head. <laughs> <laughs> I like that future for Prince very much. Excellent. All right, well, thanks for playing. And now we'll move on to the moral of the story. My moral of the story is don't engage in kinky sex until after you filled out the requisite paperwork. Mm, very important. Uh, yes, that's true. Uh, my moral is men are gross, hashtag misinjury. Uh, that's the moral of pretty much every book that we read. Yeah, that and is true. Real life, too. <laughs> Accurate. <All right. laughs> and my moral of the story is that's why you always leave a note. Because if Jessie had just let somebody know their travel plans, she wouldn't have worried so much about the fact that nobody would ever find her. She could have just, you know, waited a a day or so. And I'm sure that would have been very stressful, but she would have known that somebody would come and know where to find her. And she would not have had to do that disgusting thing with her hand. Uh, Why do we keep talking about it? I'm sorry. Guys are awful. Because that's our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay, uh, now we will move on to Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will get to share his opinions about this book. Take it away, Duarte. Huh. Alright, I, I guess I could see where you really did not think this book was as disgusting as we did. Um, but I can definitely see where you would prefer that it were a stray cat instead of a stray dog. I know how much you like the taste of human flesh, and I'm I'm sorry you had to read about a dog eating it instead of a cat. And yeah, I right appreciate now. the I appreciate the point that the book would have been a lot shorter because the cat would have just eaten Jesse instead. <laughs> That's true. That would have knocked a lot of pages off. Yeah, yeah. I you know I'd read that book maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Dorote. And now, do any humans have any closing thoughts? Um, I think we should play Fuck, Mary Kill with Founding Fathers in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> what would Alexander Hamilton do if he were in this book? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that could be its own our episode. <laughs> I mean, I feel like having alexander hamilton be in this book would not make it any shorter which was one of our main complaints (laughs) definitely yes that's true so true all right well nicole thank you for joining us where can we find you on the internet uh you can find me on twitter at n underscore d-e-g-e-n-n-a-r-o and I also have a blog at NicoleDeGenero.wordpress.com. And from there, you can pretty much find me everywhere else that I am on social media. And uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Nicole's OWL Reviews uh, vlog that she hosts on YouTube where she reviews books. And uh, I believe that she just added another contributor to that series as well. Yes, I did. It's going to be good. 
Yay. So that's for reviews generally of books that are actually good. Yes, usually. There's one for one I didn't like, but that most other people like. So there you go. (laughs) Wrong opinions all over. (laughs) But mostly Stephen King has the wrongest opinions. (laughs) Well, yes. (laughs) At least in this particular book. All right. Well, you can find us as a podcast at worstbestsellers.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at worstbestseller with no S because we gave the S to Cereal. And at, that's, why it's, that's why it's their logo. Like... It's just our S. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us on Facebook at Worst Bestsellers spelled normally. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at 14across. You can find me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you do, please rate and review us because it makes us look good and it pops us up in the review chart so other people can find us and discover how disgusting this book is. And now that you've heard about it, you really need to share that pain with other people. I I can't even make any Gerald's Game related threats because it's all too disgusting to even joke about. Oh, just please do it. Actually, read Gerald's Game. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, if you don't rate and review, we'll chain you to a bed and leave you there. No, (laughs) we know where that ends up. We'll be back in two weeks with the perfect letter by Chris Harrison of The Bachelor fame has written a romance novel, so that should be pretty great. And we will be joined by Margaret H. Willison of Two Bossy Dames fame. Friend of the show and friend of the entire internet, basically. It's true. Well, thanks for joining us. And thanks for listening. And bye! Bye! like a bachelorette party monster.